Rugby KO, a podcast that pulls no punches. We deliver rugby insights from passionate enthusiasts from the grassroots to the global game. Players, punters, professionals and partners providing uncensored opinions on how the sport of rugby can thrive again. Welcome to Rugby KO with your host, Katrina Oxenham. Sam, welcome to the Rugby KO podcast. Great to have you today. Mate, lovely to be here. Thanks for the invite and I'm looking forward to see where this goes. Great. Yes, Sam, you um, had 109 caps playing Super Rugby, 87 of those were with the Western Force where you began your professional rugby career. You retired mid-last year following a nasty bicep injury. What did you most enjoy about playing rugby and what do you now miss that you're not playing? It's funny, yeah, hopefully they don't show the, the winning percentages or anything like that on those stats <laughs> because uh, there weren't too many wins along the way. But, oh, geez, I, I enjoyed the journey that, that I embarked on with Professional Rugby Union. And you know, the thing that I enjoyed most about it was honestly the people. You know, when you get to a stage where you've, where you've been in it for a long time and you have a few setbacks or there's a few losses, but you, what doesn't change is the fact that you, you, you're surrounded by good people a lot. Like uh, whether you're in a winning team or losing team, it doesn't matter. And any time I treated rugby like a job, I was unhappy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you're supposed to enjoy it. Like I, especially now, I've re- removing myself away from the game and sort of jumping into, I guess, the, the corporate world. You truly are blessed and and privileged to be involved in a setup where you're surrounded probably by thirty blokes who are like minded. Whether you're best mates or not, it doesn't matter. There's all there's you earn respect of each other. You have another sort of ten to twenty support staff, making sure that uh, you're prepared, ready to go. And I think when you jump out, you you take that for granted. So that's what I loved about it. People are genuinely taking you from here and then making you better and and, and helping you along the way. And I, I think that that's probably that's what I miss the most, that bit as well. So that that coaching, trying to get better feedback, um, and obviously the locker room chat. This is where I think rugby players are pretty immature, pretty childish <laughs> even when you get to an age. So, and I, I like I think yeah, well, why do you need to grow up sometimes? Because uh, I guess you, you only die once, so you, you may as well live. And um, that, that's what I miss the most. Yeah, right. And the rugby community, it's so strong, isn't it? Both within those professional teams when you get to that elite level, but all along the way, right through from the grassroots, you just set that great community. It's always the people that are, sort of end up being your mates forever. So you know, I understand what you're saying about that. And I guess going back now into the corporate world, you know, that, that's a, it's a hard transition to go from playing, you know, the game you love, you know, playing sport for a living, travelling the world, and then going back to, you know, the hard slog day in, day out. It's a tough transition, I imagine, how you're going with that. It has been. It's, it's been very different. I think I'm, I'm grateful for some of the people that were able to tell their story along the way. I think as as males, as men, it, I think it's it's hard for us to be vulnerable, and especially in a sport where you're supposed to being a man is about being tough, you know, so to speak. Mm. But now some of those guys have come back and told their story about how hard it was to transition, and it, it really opened my eyes up. But like say say something, rest in peace, someone like a Dan Vickerman, who I, when I was younger, came through, I idolised him, I was able to learn from him from my brief time at the TARS, and he epitomised everything I thought about transition, degrees, success, Mm. financial sort of security and stuff like that, 
and I guess it was a tragedy what happened to him with the with his suicide and sort of and then hearing other stories of some other guys going through some mental health issues after footy because you know what we spoke about just before around that camaraderie you you have an outlet so I think rugby hits all those pillars you know of of yeah. health like it's pretty holistic you get to do what you love for a living something you enjoy it can be financially rewarding you have a social aspect you get to one train for health you get to eat right all those type of things and then when you step out into the real world yes you might have some financial success some people but there's other things that get lost along the way so I was really sort of talking to a lot of people what's it like to transition I, was, I wanted to open up those conversations guys like Matt Dunning Cameron Shepherd and Scotty Staniforth Troy Takiara, all those guys, and they were able to sort of put my mind at ease a little bit about the your expectation, and just don't expect to be good at something straight away. Like it's been yeah. it's been different, you know. So like from the like again transitioning from a rugby field, being out active all day to then sitting behind a desk, my neck was bloody killing. <laughs> looking at a screen, yeah, you know, yeah, like, oh, that, geez, yeah. What's that? You know, just always cracking my neck, rolling my back out on the floor. Like I was, I was just trying to get used to that. Even like taking lunch breaks, you know, like in footy, like it's scheduled in, you know, you know mm. exactly doing it every moment of the day. And then when lunch happens, you all go eat lunch together. And I learned uh, how, I guess, what I'm doing recruiting in the first three months of lockdown. And then when I came back into the office, <laughs> I, I was waiting to go to lunch with my boss. So I was sort of just sitting there waiting, like two o'clock hit. And I was like, man, I'm hungry. When are we going to lunch? He just goes, mate, you can go to lunch whenever you want. You don't have to wait for me. And I was just like, oh, oh, really, I can go. Like, it's just. (laughs) Yeah, very different, isn't it? Yeah. Very different, you know. So, like, oh, that's just been a big learning curve. Yeah, yeah. And listen, you had the opportunity of going to Japan and playing. What was that like? I mean, that looks like rugby's thriving there. You know, uh, they have, well, what we've seen here. They had great spectators, you know, it's it's real entertainment over there. And you've played in quite a few teams over there for about five years and had the opportunity to play at the Sun Walls at the more recently. What was the opportunity? How how did it present? And how was that um experience over there? I think you had a, a child over there too, I believe. I mean, what is Japan like first as a rugby nation, but also as a country to live in? Yeah, I, I definitely had more clubs than a golfer over there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I, I, re- I really appreciated being able to travel around Japan to different teams, different culture. I think there was a, obviously when I started going over there, usually no one would leave to Japan until you're 30. Like that was sort of the retirement place where you'd go and you'd kick back. But I think even in the in the, the time that I went there, it was starting to progress, mm-hmm. though, like the competition. And even now, like, their top teams, they would win our conference in Australia, like, you know, the Sun Tories, the Panasonic over there because, like, you're just exposed to so many different people to learn rugby from. You know, you've got South Africans. Like, say, so you've got, like, some of the best coaches in the world over there at the moment. Mm. You've got Steve Hansen, Robbie Deans. Who else is there? There was uh, Wayne Smith. You know, they're, they're some of the best rugby minds and like Eddie Jones was there, Scotty Wiseman, like some of the yeah. best rugby minds in the world, mm. all in the one country. Feed it, and that that has really trickled down, like into the universities, into their grassroots. And, and Japan is a is a slow burn. They'll be the last to sort of change in anything, but they're happy being patient. And you've seen it now; they are some of the best in the world at the moment. What they're doing that they've found their style of rugby, which is up tempo, quick, 
you know, move the ball. And, you know, I actually learned more about rugby being over there, I think, as a player. And I wish, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot more younger talent heading over there a lot earlier because yeah. it is fast-tracking their footy. Like you just saw Quaid come from second division at Kintetsu to then winning a game for the Wallabies for South Africa. I think for Australian rugby, they've got to uh, find a way to work with the Japanese uh, teams because we're just going to keep losing a lot of talent. But I played at Coke first time going over there. We had to go to work Monday mornings for the Coca-Cola office. So yeah, for anyone listening who don't know, you work for companies over there or you play for companies. And But what an unreal experience. Uh, like it's you have professionals, which are considered mostly foreigners, and then a lot of the, the Japanese guys, even in the World Cup that played, that was some of them were still workers for their companies. So they take a lot of pride in 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 their work and they're such respectful people. And I think it was a it was a good thing to learn to live in a different culture. My kids got brought up in a different culture. I think it helped my marriage as well. You know, it, it forced us to sort of become better communicators and because it was just us. Like there was like you really had to learn how to speak Japanese or at least get by. Yeah. Because otherwise, be, you'd be lost. So, yeah. uh, you know, traveling down the highway and you're, you're looking at all the characters, it's like, shit, is this my turn off? You know, and, um, <laughs> you're trying to get that on the run. But all of, all of that was just such a great learning curve. Mm. And listen, you've got an opportunity now doing some sideline commentary for the home games with the Fiji Drua. They are new to the Super Rugby competition this year. What do you think the team will bring to the competition to the Super Rugby? Oh, I think it's a long, been a long time coming for like the Pacific Island teams, you know, and, you know, the South Pacific nations to be involved in Super Rugby. I think for too long we've neglected the fact that uh, I think Pacific Island nations, South Pacific people represent 50% of the playing population. We only, like I think as a population in Australia, represents about 1.3%, you know, so that's a lot of, a lot of people watching and I think it's going to bring a different flavour to Super Rugby. I think where the Southern Hemisphere, it's different to the North, Northern Hemisphere. We need to be entertaining the crowd. We're competing with league, AFL, who are dominating that space at the moment. So yeah. but to have our Polynesian people, uh, Micronesian, Melanesian, whatever, which one, to have their own team to support, mm. having eyes on it from Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, you know, I think it's just going to bring a new set of eyeballs and, and, and that flavour that, that we needed to entertain. So commentating, as you, as you mentioned, haven't done anything of a sort. I said, buddy, maybe been in the shower, just having a crack or with the boys on a couple of years. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, oh, that's great. Um, so you're on the sidelines um, with uh, Greg Clark commentating as well. Oh, host, yeah, right? I'll be in the box with Clarkie. So oh, Clarkie were you? Great. The, yeah. So he, he would do the play-by-play calling. He would do that, like the, the how it happened and, I guess I'll be I'm so, considered the so-called expert commentator and explain why it happened. And then we've got another one. The sideline commentator is uh, Leilani, who is a uh, ex-Fijian international. So something different. Um, I always say yes to opportunities. Even if I've got no experience, I'll probably no right being there. But if I'm in the room, I'll, I'll try and own it. And then if yeah. I make a fool of myself, uh, I'm lucky, you know, social media, hopefully it moves fast. It'll be yesterday's news if it, if it doesn't work out. Yeah, right. And so will you be based over in Fiji for those home games to do the commentary or are you doing it from here? Uh, so what, what will happen is because the way the competition works, so the Fiji and Drew are staying up in Lennox Head, so they'll become the Australian Conference. The Mona Pacifica will be part of the New Zealand Conference, so it leaves them a, 
a six and six split. Mm. So at least there's even rounds. And so we'll, we will do the their home games or considered home games, which we based out of, I think it's Combank Stadium, it's called now, not Bank West from memory. And there's two games in Fiji. We will travel for that, providing I guess all the, the COVID stuff and, and see what happens. But yeah, we'll and I think the other the other sort of games are up in the Goldie. So yeah, we'll, we'll travel up for those games and be in the box for that. Yeah, great. And so, have you done any sort of since you've been announced? Have you done any training? Do you know what it's going to involve? I mean, you got a little bit of time before the season starts, but what what are the plans? Initially, when the talks happened, I, I came in for a rehearsal with Clarkie. And we did like the Bledisloe game in uh, Perth when it, when Australia won that game, and uh, another guy named Hamish France who who set it up in his apartment. So all these guys, those those two guys, obviously been in the game. They're now sort of I think freelancers, the, the word that they use for it, all set up. So I just said, yeah, sweet, I'll come in. Yeah, why not? I'll have a crack. Put the headphones on, and I was made Clarky straight out the gate like a professional. Yeah, we were just in the apartment. And I swear, it was if it was like I was there, like coming through the headphones like, at the game, and I was like, oh. Jesus, here we go. Um, my heart, my heart was pumping. Like I was like, here's this guy's like I've known this guy my like you know my whole playing career, and yeah. uh, now I get to sit next to him in his in his domain and in his area. Yeah. And yeah, like I was pretty nervous and, and coming through. So we got we've had five. We had another rehearsal last night during the game, but uh, a few technical sort of issues. So I had to sort of do it off my phone, which was tough. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, yeah, we've, we've got another four to go. So, like, hopefully I'll get a bit of practice in with him because it's all about timing. It is a, it is something new. And the last thing I want to do is, like, I guess stutter or, mm-hmm. you know, interrupt or not get the timing right with him. So we'll, we'll be in sync and then, yeah, we'll see what happens from there. Oh, how exciting. That will be great. And, listen, do you know where it's broadcast in Fiji? Like, do they are they just live streaming? Who broadcasts the game there for the population there, do you know? That's a good question. I like. I know. Say, for instance, I, I'm still. I'm. I'm pretty sure Stan still air it over. Yeah. Like you know, but they'll just so like when you see Stan Sport will do the uh, sort of the pregame show and stuff like that, and they'll cross over to Sky Sports, and then they'll take over the commentary box, and then they'll probably come back to the Stan box for you know the halftime chat. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how it's run. But I'm. I'm. I'm not. Sure, I'm, I'm not sure who the actual the TV broadcaster is. I probably okay. should know this. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's probably streamed and they've got access to that. I know that, yeah. you know, it's part of the fabric over there in Fiji, rugby, you know, rugby union, they they love it. So it'd be great. I know that they'd be very excited to have the games or have the team involved in the competition, but, you know, be able to access the games if they can't be at them, unfortunately, because of the location. So, yeah, we'll wait and see, but maybe... Um, you know, we can get some more insight into that and I'll, I'll pop it on the show notes of the podcast once we're done. Listen, um, you also, you played 87 games for the force I mentioned. You came back at the end of your career and played at the Waratahs. The Waratahs haven't been going that well for the last few seasons. And as you mentioned, you know, you didn't sort of have success on the field that much when you were playing, say, at the force. What are the different cultures like? You know, the force seems like people are very loyal over there. People, it's a great program. Um, was there a big difference between the franchises? I know you didn't necessarily spend a huge amount of time at the Waratahs, but what are the differences, do you think? Or what, what are the force doing right over there, do you think? I, I think so. When I was obviously at the force, the, the Waratahs were still the pinnacle, them and the, the Brumbies. You know, they obviously won the, the tournament then in, in yeah. 2014. Uh, had some real strong success. You know, at the force, uh, 
like there was a lot of uh, mate. We went through a fair few coaches over there mm-hmm. at the time. So you know, like anything, everything goes in cycles. Unless you're the Crusaders or the you know the Melbourne Storm, where it just <laughs> you know wind is part of the fabric. But you know, at, at the force, as I said, like they they probably needed someone like a you know Twiggy Forrester to come in and just say this is the direction mm-hmm. that we're going. They brought in someone like a Matt Hodgson to head up their, their GM role. He's a great operator. He understands, you know, what it, from a footy side of things as well as he's, he's, he's a smart operator as well and understands how to recruit. So the biggest thing about the Western Force is, like, getting people to move over there. Like, mm-hmm. so you talk about that's what the Brumbies have. So, like, straight away, the probably the biggest difference between the Tars and the Force, I just noticed it was so much easier to connect away from the game just because everyone lived five minutes from each other. Yeah, everyone's forced to move over there. So, like, your 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 only friends, are, you know, that you make over there straight away are, are from footy. Whereas at the Tars, I like you know being back home with my own family, my own cousins and and friends. Like, I just found that like myself, like you you do your best, but someone lives at Manly and you know some living out west or whatever, it's mm-hmm. two hours of traffic in between. So, it, it, I think yeah. So it's, it's a lot harder. But in saying that too. Mate, I love I love my time at the Tars. Like I think that those guys is almost like an under twenty ones team at the moment. It's such a young group. Mm. They're going to go through some teething phases at the moment. I think they'll be in some pain again this year. Hopefully, it doesn't leave too much scarring. But we we need the Waratahs. We we need we need our all our teams firing at the moment to you know to have a, a strong Wallabies team. There's enough talent out there. I, I just think we're neglecting the, the grassroots or the, the public school system to be able to get rugby playing again, you know, enjoying yeah. rugby. Because, and I feel like maybe the Pacific uh, sort of nations with Fiji and Drew and Wana can help bridge that as well. We'll see what happens. But just, yeah, both franchises different, but I, I learned a lot from, from both of them. And I, as I said, I, I enjoyed a lot from, from that and learned a lot. So you, when you did sign with the Waratahs not long after you became injured and had that nasty bicep injury, during that time when you were injured, you gave back to the grassroots through coaching in some schools, working with some juniors, some subbies clubs during your time off. Did you enjoy that time? And second part of that question is, do you think it's important for the players to give back like you have done to the grassroots and, and get that and develop the players and, and give back to the game? Well, 100%. So I think... I had one more year left in Japan, but because of COVID, like I was on my way to the airport, I went to check in and they said, oh, sorry, the borders are closed, like as of, you know, wow. 30 minutes ago. And I was like, oh, mate, I've got to get on the plane. I've got a job over there. So yeah. like, uh, the guy goes, mate, you're not going anywhere. And I was like, oh, okay, shit. So all of a sudden I've rang up the club and I've just said, hey, look, I can't get on the plane to get back there. And on the spot, they sacked me then. So, well, that's not our fault. So... I think it was a bit of an out for them as well, just to sort of like they probably knew this is happening. We're going to pay players. We're not going to pay players to just be at home or do nothing. So, and that was a that was a big one because like holy shit, I don't know what I'm doing after footy. Like this is is this it? Is this it? Is this how it's ending? But you know, like the, I went through some emotion there. I'm just like man, I'm just not I'm not getting paid. I don't know what to do. So the, what I did is what I normally do is just sort of see where I can be of service to someone else. There's always someone. Worse off than you, and there's always someone better off than you. So, like, you, you just need to stay grateful. We've still got health. I still have my kids. And I was actually, if I was being honest, I actually didn't want to go because my wife and kids were living in Australia. So I was actually living over there. So I was actually, if I'm being honest, I was like, I'm, I'm sort of glad I didn't go because I was sick of being away from them. 
And so I did. So I just reached out to my networks, just went back to West Harbour, see where I could, where they could use my skills. So I went to, to King's. I did some stuff at Newington before, but Stu Woodhouse, a great man, helped me out. He just found me some work at King's to do some coaching, do some line-out sort of consultancy with them. That kept my mind busy. And then off the back of that, someone just approached me to say, oh, would you be interested in going to the TARS? Because that's when COVID hit them as well. A lot of boys were just fleeing because of uh, they, man, they had like 75% pay cuts yeah and so i I, I was going to go to la with dc but again i just couldn't jump on the plane and go again so yeah i I jumped in with the tars to to be able to do that but it's hard like as a young fella it's like man there's no i'm not going down to club footy you know what i mean like we're just trained all day and you want me to go out to you know say to your club team train till 10 at night and then get back up early and, and do a session so there is that mindset, and I understand that it's hard, especially say if you if you did have to go to Penrith, you know, you know that everyone sort of split the, ta- the talent pool or whatever. I can understand it from a playing point of view. It's hard to do that because you just got man, we've just been here since seven, finishing at five. I'm stuck in traffic. Then I'll go stand around do some training. I'm risking injury, whatever. But as I got older, I realised how important it is to go back to club footy. Mm-hmm. Like when when I was coming through Shoot Shield. As a young fella, like I saw, like I played against like the Phil Wars, like some old heads, uh, and, and you got to feel, touch, and play against them. And you go, shit, like how cool is this? I'm learning from these type of guys. So I thought, well, I'm at that age now where I, I need to go back down there. And it's good. I, I think you meet a lot of people, even even yesterday. So I mean, I'm in recruitment and met some engineer who's there at Stantec, one of the tier one companies. Said his son playing down at St. Ives. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing some stuff down at St. Ives. And he goes, oh, do you know a guy named Neville? I was like, oh, I do know Neville. And, and so straight away, <laughs> yeah. there's, that, there's that connection. And this has happened a couple of times in the rugby circles with my boss. He's like, oh, mate, you seem to just, like, there's not too much separation, degrees of separation to know yeah. someone. And I was like, that's such an important um, part, you know, rugby with those social skills, giving back. And yeah. I think... Um, we, we need more players going back there to grow the game. And like I think this, the, the classic Wallabies do a great job. Even the aqua rugby stuff that's going on, the nines, sevens, all facets of rugby, get it out there so we can uh, get, get the game back to where it was. Yeah, agree. And listen, now you're in recruitment and you've got a few transferable skills, I'm sure, from taking from your sporting career and transferring into the corporate world and probably not realising if you don't necessarily have the the degree or, you know, the, the background necessarily working in the corporate world. I'm sure there's a lot of transferable skills. Have you have you found that or how, how are you going there in the recruitment game? So one skill that didn't transfer over was uh, <laughs> learning how to use a computer. Like I... <laughs> I obviously knew what copy paste was, but I never knew the shortcut. Um, <laughs> yeah. And when I found that out, I was like, holy heck, that's changed my life, especially in the previous <laughs> sent emails like nonstop. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it has helped me a lot. One was probably being, like, as I said before, the transition was hard. So there was an opportunity there where I thought, I was like, nah, this is for me. I'm done. I'm actually useless at this. And I don't know what I'm doing. But the challenge of sort of saying, okay, how do I break this down in terms of like, how do I learn best? How do I help him teach me about recruiting and to be able to break it down and be able to have those hard conversations? And I, I know he appreciated those conversations to know where I'm coming from. Like we're so used to having the hard conversations. Like some of the reviews that we had in footy were, were brutal. Like yeah. there'll be times where you're like we're under Johnny Mitch, 
like you, there'll be a whiteboard with everyone's name on it, and you either had a tick or cross next to it, and like you just walk, you know. So you're going in there. Why have I got a cross? And he just, he would just be flat out like going. And then sometimes you'd have to stand up and go, Hodgie or Kieran Longbottom or whatever. I was like, Man, I'm going to give you a cross this week. And then I was like, Why are you giving me a cross? What did I do wrong? He goes, Oh, mate, I just thought you fell short here. And he goes, All right, sweet. Or like when I was at the Tars, it was like we, they used to do um, stop, start, keep. Something you got to stop doing, something you got to start doing, something you got to keep doing. I remember this one sort of, it was, Oh, I couldn't believe it happened. One of them just said, I think, I think you need to start showering because your hygiene is <laughs> it, it's no good. Like it, it, it's, oh, it's brutal, like, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, that's brutal. So you, you're exposed to like really tough conversations. Yeah. And so for, for me, I was able to sort of, okay, I need to have an honest conversation with him before this gets out of hand and like he starts, I don't know, getting angry or resenting what I'm doing. So that's a... That, that was a big one for me. Um, I think naturally, yeah, like I'm tall. I know I've got like a, I've still got like a, I guess that rugby sort of frame. You have a presence when you meet someone straight away. I think that breaks a barrier straight away. My hair, or I find that like they, they find it hard to forget who I am. So mm-hmm. now I can, oh, like, oh, yeah, you've played rugby. I was like, yeah, like, I, and I know I can't keep using that forever. But eventually, you're gonna. It's gonna wear thin. But at the same time, like I use it towards my advantage to break the ice because you're constantly trying to find a way to make a connection with someone within the first five seconds. And you know, yeah. on the phone, they're like, "Nah, mate, don't talk to me again." And go, "Yeah, sweet." So that was the other thing. You'd been able to go, "Yeah, sweet, all good." No worries. Dial and go again. But and just being honest and genuine. Like uh, I like I didn't realize I didn't even know recruitment existed in the corporate world. If I'm being honest, I knew there was labour hire. I didn't know you recruited for engineers and stuff like that. That existed, so I was like, "So player managers for the corporate world." And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they and they have that stigma of a player agent, you know. So I, I guess it's my personality type. I, will, I like that's not me. Like I've, I say to it on the phone, like my relationships are more important than any type of fee or placement. So you're in control. I'm just helping you facilitate if you want to go there or not. So don't ever feel obligated to trust what I say if you need to. But I, I'll just come across as as me, this is who you get, and all good if it's not for you. So that trust and earn respect and those values have, have, have held me a good stead, I think, in a position where it can be a bit snaky and a bit sharky. Yeah. Yeah, I think honesty and integrity and those sorts of things, you can't get away uh, not being like that when you're playing in a team, like in, in a footy franchise or in a team. So, yeah, I'm sure uh, that transfers into everything in life. But I wish yep. you the best with your recruitment um, moving forward. But more importantly, with the with the commentating, that sounds like a great opportunity. I can't wait to hear you call it with Clarkie for the 2022 <laughs> uh, Super Rugby season. Yeah, so all the best and great to chat today. So thanks, Sam, and um, let's stay in touch. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate you having me on. Uh, having a yarn and uh, it's actually nice to really talk to honestly I'm being serious here to a female about rugby I think it's important that the more sort of I think representation that we get from female rugby players because and anyone involved in a game like that I think it's awesome so I appreciate you coming on and having a chat and reaching out great no problem all right well you take care we'll chat soon sounds good cheers thanks Sam Thank you for joining us at Rugby KO. Any comments or insights, please send to Katrina at rugbyko.com. For show notes and more about all things rugby, head to our website at www.rugbyko.com.
www.rugbyrugby.com. We look forward to your company for our next episode of Rugby KO.